The following is from Red Hill Baptist Church, where we exist to glorify God, grow more like Jesus, and go with the gospel. To find out more about our ministry, or to contact us, please visit redhillbaptist.org. On a hill far away Someday for a crown. 
in my daddy home, lay beside my bed, was an heirloom handed down across a hundred yesterday. Never heard him read it much, but knew it had been read for the pages of his life. Bible, please, if you'll turn to the Gospel of John, please, the third chapter, as we continue our series on John the Baptist that we've called Forerunner, John chapter 3, greater, better, faster, those are words that get our attention, those are words that sell books and fill up seminar halls and drive people to achieve and get excited about things. Words like lesser, poor, slower. Those words, they don't turn heads. Uh, in fact, uh, if some are honest, those types of words, they kind of repulse us. They, they turn us off rather than inspiring us. We want to be inspired to be more and more and do more and more, to be somebody, to be recognized, to be known, to achieve and then we go to our Bible and we begin reading. 
we read honestly, we get to passages like Matthew 20, verse 26, where the Bible says, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. If we keep reading through the Bible, we come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, which says that you also aspire, you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we've commanded you. <laughs> and then as you've read through, you would have come across John the Baptist's words in John chapter 3 and verse 30 where he speaks of Jesus and says, He must increase, but I must decrease. Really what we have is we have the worldly mindset versus the biblical mindset. One says it's all about me and my kingdom, and the other says it's all about God and His kingdom. We have a choice to make. We make that choice really on a daily basis. Whose kingdom am I going to be living for today? Our man, John the Baptist, he faces another test in our passage today, another opportunity to either exalt himself or exalt Christ. Now, you remember last time he passed the test of popularity and fame and and notoriety, and he came through with flying colors. And today he faces another test, but it's the opposite. Today we're going to find that his ministry is diminishing, the crowds are leaving, and some of his followers are worried. And you're by now in John chapter 3. I want to begin reading at verse 22 and read down to chapter 4, uh, verse 2, if you'll follow along in your copy of the Scripture. We see this account from John's life. It says in John 3.22, After these things, Jesus and His disciples came into the land of Judea and there remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there and they came and were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. Verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear, witness, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony is certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made 
and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. Did you catch the picture here? John's disciples, John's followers come to John and with an agitated voice, with worry and concern it seems, they kind of say, everybody's going to Jesus. Everybody's going to Jesus. In fact, we saw, the Bible says here, that more were going after Jesus than John at this point. John, what are we going to do? The crowds are leaving. They're following Jesus. We're losing our people. And John calmly answers them with words of reassurance. In fact, John says something quite amazing in this passage. Now, you know, I've been a pastor long enough to tell you that it's painful when people leave the church. I started pastoring, I think I was 21 years old when I started. And over the years, we've seen people come, we've seen people go. Some leave because they move. And we understand, they move on and so they go. Some leave because they get mad. Some leave for other various reasons. And I have to be honest with you, a great majority leave and never tell you why they're leaving, that they're leaving, and you just are left wondering what in the world happened, why are they gone? Sadly, there can be a spirit of competition among churches. It should not be, and I pray that it is not the case here, but it's easy to fall into the trap that our church is better than your church. It's very easy to fall into that trap. I don't think we mean to. I don't think we we go out trying to do that. We can easily forget that the kingdom of God is massive. It's bigger than our church. It's bigger than our group. It's bigger than the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, It is made up of all those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And can I just tell you and just go on record of saying we should rejoice any time someone follows Jesus. Whether they follow Jesus here or follow Jesus somewhere else, we should rejoice any time someone follows the Lord Jesus. And we should rejoice any time that we hear of a church who seeks to honor God and worship God and lead others to God. We should rejoice whenever we hear of a church, wherever they are, whatever their name is, that is prospering and flourishing if they're truly seeking to honor the Lord. And they don't have to do things the way we do them. In fact, a lot of churches don't do things the way we do them. I I found over the years, after all these years of ministry, that different churches, they do things differently and they reach different people. There are churches reaching people today that we are not reaching and we're reaching people they're not reaching. And that's the way that God designed us. That's the way that God made us. And there are all sorts of churches and all types of believers. The main thing is that we're all working together. It's not competition, it's cooperation. We're all to be working together, pointing people to the Lord Jesus. Now, I hope you love your church. And if you do, that's good and that's right. I hope you do. And I do too. But it's not a competition. It's a cooperation. Now, John here has been enjoying great success. Masses of people have come out to hear him preach powerfully repentance. Masses of people have come and been baptized by John, but now things are changing and the crowds are leaving and the crowds are diminishing and things are thinning out. Why? Because they're following after Jesus. And the interesting thing is this thrilled John. I don't know if you noticed his words at the end of verse 29. He says, this joy of mine is fulfilled. I mean, his disciples come and say, John, what, basically, what in the world are we going to do? We're losing all these people. He says, my joy is fulfilled. Well, John, are you crazy? No, no. And we're going to learn today 
The reason John could do this is because he remembered some things. He remembered some truths. And he remembered some truths that you and I need to remember as well. And I jotted down five things that we see that John remembered that helped him to pass this test. Because, you know, the test of notoriety and fame in the crowd's coming, that's a hard test. But he passed it. But maybe even harder times is when the crowds are leaving. And before I give you the five things he remembered, can I give you one other observation? I'll just throw this in for free. It's not part of the five, but it's something I need to mention to you. And it's going to seem kind of odd, but here's what it is. Sometimes it is God's will for a ministry to diminish or decrease. Sometimes it is God's will for a ministry to diminish or decrease. That seems hard to fathom. Uh, We've been taught the opposite. The church growth experts tell us that all healthy things grow. But the problem is their definition of health and growth and God's definition of health and growth Uh, Growth does not always match. We think of health and growth in terms of buildings and budgets and bottoms in the seats. If we've got big buildings and big budgets and, I wasn't going to say big bottoms in the seats, but a lot of bottoms in the seats, then we think, oh, we're, we're really, really doing well and things are healthy and things are going great. We like to see things we can handle and we can count and we can see and we can hold tangible things. But here, John... He's losing his job. His influence is diminishing. The crowds are leaving. But can I just tell you, this is so healthy. Why? Because it was true growth. It was true spiritual growth. You know why? Because these people are not just leaving John. They're leaving John to follow Jesus. And that was the purpose of John's life. John is the forerunner. He's the one that went before the Messiah, announcing his arrival, calling people to repentance. Get ready, the King is coming. And as I told you before, that scholars believe that John's public ministry lasted somewhere to maybe around a little over six months to a little over a year. It was a very short time frame. And we see the ministry, it expanded, it climaxed with the baptism of Jesus, and now it's beginning to diminish. What we have to remember is this, beloved, that we serve a sovereign God. And He's in absolute full control. And whether things appear to be increasing or decreasing, what really matters is what brings the most glory to God. And I don't know if you've been a believer for any amount of time, you may have already learned the lesson that God, to us, doesn't always make sense. To us. Because we're human. His ways are so much higher than our ways. His his wisdom is so much greater than ours. And at times, God, just be honest with you, God leaves us scratching our heads. God leaves us wanting to say why and how come. But I don't find John doing that here. In fact, I find John, (laughs) he's rejoicing. Now, John the Baptist is having a decreasing ministry. He'll eventually have a job loss. In fact, verse 24 kind of gives us a foreshadowing. He's going to prison. And if you know John's story, it doesn't get any better after that. In fact, when we get to the end of his life, it's actually a very gruesome, horrible picture from a human standpoint. But John passed the test. How did he pass the test of rejoicing while losing his job. Well, I've mentioned to you five things that John remembered. Let me give them to you this afternoon or this morning, and you can jot them down if you want. Number one, John remembered that his ministry 
was entrusted to him and did not belong to him. John remembered that his ministry was entrusted to him and did not belong to him. Look back at verses 26 and 27. Let me read them in a different translation just so you hear them slightly different. John 3, 26 and 27. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. Now listen to what it says. And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. Verse 27, John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. John recognized that his ministry was not his. It did not come from him and it did not belong to him. We would do well to be reminded of the same thing. The ministry, whatever ministry God's entrusted to you, it's yours for the time being. It's been entrusted to you. God has put it in your care, but it's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. My name is on a church sign today, but it's on a plastic insert. That's, what, that's the way it should be. It's not carved in stone. Folks, unless Jesus comes before, one day you're going to remove that plastic insert and put somebody else's name there. Why? Because the ministry that we've been given is really a temporary assignment. And John's ministry was a temporary assignment. And one day somebody else's name will go in that sign. And one day somebody else will have the ministry, God willing, that maybe you have as you labor for the Lord. John recognized the ministry that I have, it didn't come from me. It came from God. He said even more broadly, we, re we receive nothing unless it's been given from heaven. That's such an important point. Everything that we have has been given to us. Gordon MacDonald wrote a classic book called Ordering Your Private World. And in that book, he talks about the difference between being driven and being called. Some people are driven and they live that way, driving forward regardless of anybody and anything, just riding over, driving over. And then there are those people who are called. And he made some interesting observations about that from John's life. He said, called people never assume ownership of their work or the people of that work. They don't assume, assume ownership. John's view of stewardship presents us with an important contemporary principle. Listen, for his crowds that are leaving, they may be our careers, may be our assets, may be our natural and spiritual gifts, may be our health. He writes, so, and think before answering, are these things owned or are they merely managed in the name of the one who gave them? Driven people consider them owned. These are my people. This is my health. This is my asset. This is my career. Call people don't live that way. He says when driven people lose those things, it's a major crisis. When called people lose them, nothing of substance changes. Their private world remains the same, perhaps even stronger. Then he says this, no driven person could ever say what John said. Because driven people have to keep gaining more and more attention, more and more power, more and more material assets. They have to hold on. They cannot let go. Why? Because too much of themselves is wound up in what they are doing. So I ask you today, are you called or are you driven? How are you living your life? John recognized he was called. He recognized everything he had came from heaven. The ministry that he had, the calling upon his life, he managed it. He stewarded it for God. Why? He knew it wasn't his. It wasn't about him. 
It wasn't hold on at all costs. He held things very loosely. Why? Because he knew that God was in charge. You're going to be very miserable in life if you clench your fists because God has a way of slowly, sometimes quickly, prying open our clenched fists and reminding us that we are not in charge. John remembered that his ministry was entrusted to him and did not belong to him. Secondly, we've got to hurry. John remembered that he was not Jesus. Look at John 3.28. We've already read it, but look at it again. He said to his followers, his disciples, you know, they're worried and agitated about all this happening. He says in verse 28, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. Oh, how do we need to remember this? You are not Jesus. I am not Jesus. You are not God, and I'm not God. Can we all just do a collective sigh of relief? <sighs> Now, we know that. We forget that. Boy, I tell you what, if I was in charge, you're not. I'm not either. I tell you what, I'd change that person. You can't. I can't either. John says, listen, I'm not Jesus. I'm not the Messiah. I've made it clear. I am not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. I'm just the one sent before Him. I'm just telling other people about it. What a relief. What a relief to know that we're not in charge. We're not God. And so, if that's been an issue for you, I hope that's forever settled. You can relax today and realize that God's in charge and you're not. Thirdly, John remembered that he was the best man and not the bridegroom. Put another way, John remembered his place and role. Look at verse 29. He says in John 3.29, He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and, and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. Now, we've, we've hit a little bit of a dry run here on weddings, and that'll change. In fact, in the next decade, I imagine there'll be an overflow of weddings and those sorts of things. But you know, when you come to a wedding here, and the couple... They're standing there. You have the, the bride and the groom, right? And then on either side of them, I was explaining this to my boys. I don't know if we were talking about this just the other night, about there are bridesmaids and there are groomsmen. And then there's the maid of honor. And then there's the best man. John basically says here, I'm not the groom, I'm the best man. They tell me, David Gusick noted, that John is the best man at the wedding between Jesus and Jesus' followers. In the Jewish wedding customs of that day, the friend of the bridegroom arranged many of the details of the wedding. That doesn't happen today because if you get chosen as the best man, you don't have a whole lot to do except, you know, a few responsibilities. But in that day, you were the best man. You were the friend of the bridegroom. You arranged many of the details of the wedding. And then I love this part. The best man, the friend of the bridegroom in that day, he brought the bride to the groom. Do you get the picture? Many times in our ceremony, the, the dad brings the bride to the groom. But in that culture, 
the friend of the bridegroom, the best man, if you will, he brought the bride to the groom. What a picture of John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, listen, I'm not the groom. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I'm bringing the bride to the groom. How strange it would be, thankfully it's never happened, but how strange it would be if we had a wedding here and the bride uh, and the groom are there and the best man starts trying to get all the attention and he starts acting up. I don't know what would happen in that case. I, I imagine the bride would probably take him out. I don't know. But what a strange thing that would be. And that's what John is saying. Listen, I'm not the groom. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I'm not the center of attention. I'm not the focus here. I'm simply here. Why? Because my job is to arrange some details to go before and I'm trying to bring the bride to the groom and the groom is the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Himself. See, He had a role to play. He had a part to play. And all of us do. We have a part in the kingdom of God and the family of God. And it's not about us, it's about Jesus. And verse 30 so summarizes John's life where he says, He must increase and I must decrease. As I've told you before, that's a picture of the Christian life. That's Christian growth. Christian growth is where Jesus becomes more and more and more and you become less and less and less. But here's the ironic thing about it. As that happens, as you become less and less, your joy becomes more and more and more until it's overflowing. Why? Because He's come to give us life and not just life, but life more abundant. And John John says, listen, I am not the bridegroom I'm the best man. He remembered that. He knew his place. He knew his role. Fourthly, John remembered who Jesus really was. We come down to verse 31. Now, I've got to confess to you, scholars are divided as to which John's speaking, beginning at verse 31. Some people think it's John the Baptist speaking here, and some people say, no, it's John the Apostle speaking here. I, I, I'm kind of inclined to think it's John the Baptist. But regardless... I want you to notice what it says about Jesus. Again, I'll read it to you in the NLT so you hear it slightly different. Beginning at verse 31. I think this is John the Baptist speaking. It may be John the Apostle, but ultimately it's God the Holy Spirit. Number, forget that. John 3.31, talking about Jesus. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth and we speak of earthly things. That's, you know, it sounds like John the Baptist, doesn't it? But He, that is Jesus, come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he's seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the Spirit without limit. The Father loves his Son and has put everything into his hands. Again, one of the reasons that John could pass this test is because he knew who Jesus really was. He really knew. Remember, I mean, when he was a babe in his mother's womb and Mary comes with Jesus in her womb, I mean, he leapt. He saw as he baptized the Lord Jesus, the Spirit lighting upon him, the voice from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He knew exactly who Jesus was and because he knew that, he was able to be okay and not only be okay, but rejoice that the crowds were leaving him and following Jesus. But there's a fifth thing that he remembered. And the fifth thing he remembered is this. John remembered that what people did with Jesus mattered more than anything else in the world. What people did with Jesus mattered more than anything else in the world. John was not concerned about his popularity or his fame 
whether he had big crowds or small crowds, he was concerned with people coming to know Jesus. Look at verse 36. Powerful verse. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. For every person, male or female, it's either everlasting life or the wrath of God. And the deciding factor is what person does with Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus, you have life. Reject Jesus and it says that God's wrath abides on you. We've talked about it before. Do we really believe this? If you're here today and you've never turned from your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that God's wrath is upon you. Say, well, I don't feel it. You will one day. But He loves you. He's made a way to avoid His wrath. How? He took out His wrath upon His Son. When Jesus died on the cross, we've been singing about it today, the old rugged cross. He bled and died. He died. We keep singing about it. Why? Because it's our hope. It's, it's the difference for our life. And Jesus died for you. And if you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ, you'll move from wrath to joy. You'll move from condemnation to no condemnation if you have the Lord Jesus. Now, I know I'm talking to a crowd of folks and a lot of you have already done that. If you haven't, I pray you'll come today. Please come. Receive Christ. But for those who have done that, you say, well, I have that settled. Well, praise the Lord. But again, our job... Remember we talked about our place, our purpose, our role. God has left us here as ambassadors for Christ. Now, we are not John the Baptist. We're not the forerunner. But we're sons and daughters of God if we know Jesus. And He's left us here to be ambassadors to point others to Jesus. And you have people in your life that you can influence for Jesus. You know people I don't know. You go in circles I don't go. You have access to people I don't. And the way that God has orchestrated this and arranged every believer is to be a missionary, living on mission, seeking to share Christ with other people. You have your sphere of influence. I have a sphere of influence. All of us working together should be sharing the good news that Jesus saves. Because God just reminds you what people do with Jesus matters more than anything else in their life. There's nothing that is more important than Jesus. And what they do with Jesus is the most important thing they'll do. They'll either reject Him or accept Him. If they accept Him, there's life. If they reject Him, there's wrath. What do we do with this today? We've got to wrap up. Well, can I just encourage you along a couple paths and then we'll pray. What John remembered, we need to remember. Can I encourage you, first of all, to entrust your life and your ministry, your all, to Jesus? Some today you're holding on with all your might, your life, your future, your ministry, your family, your health, your career, your money, your possessions. Can I just encourage you to open your hands today and just freely admit to the Lord Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from you. I own nothing. You've entrusted me with so much. I, I don't want to live driven. 
I want to live as a called son or daughter. And I trust you. And I give it all to you. Can I encourage you to do that? Could I also encourage you to do this, and this is scary, maybe. But could I encourage you to, to maybe say to the Lord today, Lord, I don't know what you have planned for my life. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's happening the day after that. But would you help me to trust you, Lord? And I pray that you will do in my life whatever brings you the most glory. Whether that means increase or decrease, whether that means pain or pleasure, whatever brings you the most glory, Lord. And Lord, I want to live out John 3.30. I want you to increase more and more in my life. And I want to decrease more and more because I want to have true joy. And I want to live that way. Now I remember what's important. Because what's truly important is you. You know, John had a very short ministry and by our standards, a very short life. But you see, it's not the quantity of days that made the difference. It's the quality of his life. Why? Because his life was all about Jesus. What is God saying to you today? What is God the Holy Spirit saying to you? Would you be obedient? Would you follow Him? Would you surrender? Would you let Him have your, His will and His way in your life today? Would you bow with me? Right there in your seat, I want to give you a moment. The altar will be open and we sing this closing song, but I don't want to wait till then, right where you are. I want to just be quiet for a moment let God the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. And whatever it is He's saying to you, I want you to respond in faith. Whether it's surrender, whether it's coming to faith in Christ, whatever it is, would you talk with Him there? I'm going to give you a moment. You do business with Him. stand together and sing that song. If you need the words, it's 544 and the altar is open. Have thine own way, Lord. Do you mean that today? Let's stand together and sing it. You come as God leads you. 544, have thine own way.
Thank you for listening today. We trust that our time together was a blessing to you. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us on Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and of course on our website at redhillbaptist.org. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you.